Welcome back to Bible Time, 1 Thessalonians 2.16. This is the second part here because it's the second verse dealing with the accusations of God against the chosen people of God, the Jews. Verse 15 says, Who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us, and they please not God and are contrary to all men. And then our text this morning, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved, to fill up their sins always, for the wrath is come upon them to the uttermost. Father, in Jesus' name, we pray that you would open these scriptures to our understanding, open our hearts to receive your word, and use your word, Father, to change hearts and change minds and change lives. We ask this in Jesus' name, and for his sake, amen. Okay, so here we looked at these five accusations in verse 15 yesterday. They, um, and this comes, that speaking of the Jews, comes from verse 14. For ye, brethren, became followers of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. For ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews. So here he introduces the topic of the sins of the Jews in verse 14, while commending the church at Thessalonica for the mark of the true church that they are bearing, and that is the heritage of study of suffering, the heritage of suffering. And the title of our message on that script on that scripture text was A Heritage of Suffering. And we um, preached that on 1020, October 20, 2022. Um, now we're on to the um, 16th verse here, the Jews are forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles, he says. We looked yesterday at how they killed the Lord Jesus. We looked at how they killed their own prophets, um, all with biblical evidence. We looked at how they persecuted the church, and they please not God and are contrary to all men. We didn't really um, cover please not God or contrary to all men quite as well as I would wanted to. I want to add just a couple things to those um, two accusations before we dive into the forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles part of verse 16. So um, go to Acts chapter 4 and verse 31. This is one of the things that I wanted to bring out when we went through Acts, and I kind of missed it. So I apologize for that. But Acts 4, 31, it says, And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. So this is after the Jews had commanded the apostles, um, Peter and John, not to teach or preach, not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. And verse 23, And being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which hast made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is, who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine? in vain things. The kings of the earth stood up, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. And now, Lord, behold thy threatening, their threatenings, and now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word by stretching forth thine hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus and here's the text that we um, just looked at and when they had prayed the place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the word of God with boldness verse 32 and the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and one soul Um, Neither said any of them that all of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common, and that with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. So we see that God was pleased with the apostles, and whereas the Jews were rejecting the gospel and forbidding them to speak, and the the apostles continued to preach, and the people and the apostles together gathered and prayed, and God manifested the fact that he was pleased with his people, with the shaking of the place that they were assembled, the filling of the Holy Ghost, 
and the granting of the signs and the wonders to be done by the hands of the apostles to give credibility to the witness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So there was another evidence that God was pleased not with the Jews, but with the church. And the church, the Jews were opposing the church, and God was pleased with the church, which shows that the Jews please not God. Jesus had said in John 16 too, that they that would kill the disciples would think that they did God's service. Go there real quick. Again, this, this statement that they please not God, it should seem so basic, but in reality, this is uh, for the people that are living in this delusion, this is an absolute contradiction to their self um, conceived ideas. John 16, verse 2, They shall put you out of the synagogues, yea, the time cometh, that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God's service. They will think that they are pleasing God while they kill God's people. That's what he said. But do they please God whenever they do that? Absolutely not. And that's absolutely clear by <coughs> excuse me, by the rest of what Jesus Christ says there in John 16. Now, the contrary to all men, go ahead and run over to Acts 17. Acts 17 again and verse 8. And here's where they stir up the people and take them to Gallio in Corinth. Acts 17 and verse 8. And when they found them not, this is the Jews, verse 5 actually. Um, but the Jews which believed not moved with envy took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort and gathered a company and set all the city on an uproar. And then verse 8, and they troubled the people and the rulers of the city. And you find this um, all throughout the Bible and you find this all throughout history that the Jews have been contrary to all men ever since Christ. Ever since Jesus Christ um, came and died and was buried and rose again and was rejected of the Jews. The Jews have been contrary toward all men. Now the dis, the unbelieving Jews have been contrary in their own way because, and here's what really makes them contrary. They're misplaced faith in God. They believe in the one true God and they have the word of God. So they know that they have truth, but they hang on to that truth and they try and establish their own righteousness through the works of the law instead of by the hearing of faith and being ignorant of God's righteousness go about to establish their own righteousness and thereby offend God. And what they end up doing is being contrary to all men, contrary, fighting against all men. Now, people might say, well, there's nobody who's been as contrary as the believing true church that has disobeyed edicts, disobeyed orders, disobeyed kings, baptized themselves instead of letting the church do it, the so-called church, and they've been killed and butchered. But the true church of Jesus Christ has not has not fought and persecuted and destroyed other people. The true church of Jesus Christ has suffered greatly. The Jews have suffered greatly, but the Jews are bringing it on their own heads. That's the difference. The Jews are bringing it on their own heads. You say, oh, you can't really blame the Jews for the Holocaust. Absolutely, you can. Now, I'm not against the Jews. We closed yesterday with the fact that, for, um, that they are beloved for the Father's sake, but they're enemies of the gospel right now, and that's right out of Romans. I love the Jews. I'm grateful to God for the Jews. The Bible's clear that the land of Canaan there, um, that God wiped out the wicked people that lived there and ceded the whole thing to the Jews, and nobody else gets it. It's the Jews' land. Israel belongs to the Jews. They have a special place in God's heart nationally, and I am for them, and I want God's best for them, but the truth of the matter is that they have been obnoxious and contrary to all men. That's the truth of it. They are professional troublemakers. The unbelieving Jews are. They were all the way back in the book of Acts over and over and over again. We're going to look at a couple of those today in a different application as it pertains to forbidding <coughs> forbidding to speak to the Gentiles. Um, but the um, but they've been contrary, stirring up people, lying, disinformation, propaganda, <coughs> 
They've been involved in war after war after war after war in the background, and that's just history. Now, all these neo-Nazis and stuff out here are going to try and use that to be anti-Semitics. I am not, and I completely disagree with that entire point of view. I believe that we should bless the Jews in spite of them being contrary to all men. But just because I love the Jews doesn't mean I'm going to join the the paddy wagon that all everybody just shakes hands and says we love you and we're not going to say anything that's truth that's negative. The fact is that the Jews who I love, who I appreciate, who I am for, who the Father loves, who are beloved to the Father, who are the chosen people of God, are contrary to all men. They are backwards, upside down, troublemakers, stirring up the people, lying, disinforming, spreading propaganda and deceit and causing death and bloodshed and dissension all over the world. And that's just the raw fact of it. That's what God accused the Jews of here in this text. And I can already tell, I already know somebody's going to twist this thing and use it for evil. But I can't help that. I'm preaching what's in the Bible. And Peter said that Paul wrote in his epistles some things that were hard to understand, which unstable men rest as they do also other scriptures to their own destruction. So I can't worry too much about people twisting the truth and misusing it. My job is to preach and proclaim claim the truth. It's not my job to try and present the truth in a way that's untwistable either. My job is just to present the truth. I do my best, as I, but I obviously fall short of making it untwistable. And Paul did too, and I've got pretty much no hope of doing better um, than that. I have no hope of doing better than Paul, who was one of the twelve apostles of the Lamb and spoke the very oracles of God, not just as the oracles of God. He spoke the oracles of God into existence by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and yet those very words of God are twisted. The words of Jesus Christ were twisted. The words of Jesus Christ were used against him by the scribes and by the Pharisees. Now we're looking today about the fullness of Israel's sin. That's the title of this lesson today. The fullness of Israel's sin taken from the middle of our text where it says uh, to fill up their sins always. And this is a subtitle for this could be when God gets mad. When God gets mad. You want to make God mad? We're going to give you the recipe today. You want to know how to do it? This is how to do it. The Jews did it, and they gave us a prime example. You can study how the Jews did it. If you want to infuriate God, you can do what the Jews did, and you will accomplish the same results. And you'll accomplish the same end, your own destruction. I don't recommend that in case you can't figure that out. Now it says here, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles in verse 6, that they might be saved. After five accusations, beginning with the death of Jesus Christ, the killing, the murder of Jesus Christ, then also the accusation of the murder of the prophets, the accusation of the murder of the early church and the apostles, and then also the accusation of not pleasing God, and then the accusation of being rabble-rousers, contrary to all men to cap all five if that wasn't bad enough if those five things weren't enough to make these people odious in the nostrils of God and worthy of the outpouring of his wrath and indignation they went a step further and that step further is God's deadline for nations this is God's deadline for kings it's God's deadline for nations when people cross God's deadline and he says that's it When they get to that uttermost, it says the wrath is come upon them to the uttermost. Whenever you get to the place where God says, I am done with that person. I am done with that nation. I am done with that people group. I will have nothing more to do with them but to pour out my wrath upon them. This is the capstone. Forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved. Go to Luke 11, 52. Luke eleven fifty two. Here Jesus Christ speaking to the lawyers, which were those that, un- that kept and obeyed and taught the law of God. They were not in the same sense lawyers as we have today. We're not going to get off on that. 
says, Woe unto you, lawyers, for ye have taken away the key of knowledge. Ye entered not in yourselves, and them that were entering in, ye hindered. He said, you could see it. You have the Bible. You have the word of God. You knew what the Bible said. And whenever you had the key of knowledge in your hand, you... <coughs> excuse me. You had the key of knowledge in your hand. You took it away. And instead of going in yourselves, you hindered those that would go in. You took away the key of knowledge. You removed the truth. You obliterated the truth. You obscured the truth. You attacked the truth. You ran down the truth. You threatened those that would that would tell the truth. You used the law to squelch the truth. Whenever you had the key of knowledge, ye entered knowledge in yourselves and them that were entering in ye hindered go to acts 4 we were just there and 18 but we'll be we'll run through just a couple verses in acts that we didn't get to yesterday but we'll start there in acts 4 18 This is when the lawyers, which were, would be included with the scribes and the Pharisees, with the Sanhedrin, the Sadducees, look at chapter 4, verse 1, and as they spake unto the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. It's a pretty sick thing whenever you're grieved over the things that God delights in, and you delight in the things that God grieves over. But these men... These religious men were grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And then he says here in verse 18, And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. They said, You are not allowed to teach anymore or even speak in the name of Jesus. They tried to shut them down. They forbade, forbade them to speak to their own people. Look at verse 21. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go. 528. Here the council in verse 27 and the high priest asked them saying, did not we straightly command you that ye should not teach in this name? And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. All these we looked at yesterday. Here the Jews were in general hindering the gospel toward their own people. They were rejecting the gospel for themselves. As bad as this is and as wicked as this is, they were going to go the step beyond this. Go to Acts 13. And in short, God may allow you to choose hellfire damnation for yourself, but you better not interfere with others who are trying to reach Christ. Anyone who's legitimately trying to get to Christ, you better keep, you better keep back. Every now and then when preaching the gospel on the streets or on the, which we primarily would, that would be door knocking is our um, primarily what we do. Just going from house to house, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with people as far as public ministry and then in public concourses. Um, sharing the gospel, sometimes some street preaching or whatever else, um, invariably you'll meet someone who wants to come to Christ. They want to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, but somebody that is with them hinders them, stands in the way, blockades them, does not want them to come to Jesus Christ. It might be a wife, it might be an uncle, it might be a friend. It's a very common occurrence, but I'll tell you one thing that makes God sick, that makes God angry, that makes God full of wrath. And that is whenever a parent stands between a child and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now in this day of children's rights, we have people teaching that a parent should never stand in between a child and knowledge. And that a parent should allow any kind of knowledge to enter in to their child's life. But Jesus said, woe to him by whom the offense comes. He says that it is impossible, but that offenses will come. But woe to him by whom they come. He says, if any of you shall offend one of these little ones, it is it would be better for you to have a millstone tied about your neck and for you to be drowned in the midst 
midst of the sea. You're a mother and a father and you let some shaman into your home to teach witchcraft to your children and God says it were better for you that a millstone be hung about thy neck and for you to be drowned in the midst of the sea. But furthermore, not only will you be judged if you allow people to teach disinformation about the gospel. Listen, this is not a fair and equal system. God is not an equal opportunity preacher. He doesn't care about your perspectives and your opinions and your culture. He cares about truth. Jesus said, sanctify them through thy truth. My, thy word is truth. <coughs> Jesus doesn't care about you getting a well-rounded and your erudite education where you know all these different religions and have an opportunity to learn them all. Some parents will say, well, I won't interfere with my child's religion. I'm not going to get involved. I told them they can pick whatever they want. You, sir, you, ma'am, will answer before the throne of God for offending your little one. God has charged you in his word. Train up your children in the way they should go. And when they are old, they will not depart from it. God has commanded parents to teach their children the law of Almighty God. God has commanded parents to raise up the, their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You just being wishy-washy about it is not admirable. It's an absolute dereliction of duty, and it is absolutely abusive to not teach your children the gospel of Jesus Christ and to teach them anything else as any kind of equal opportunity is a in heaven will count higher and more egregiously than the worst child abuse that you can imagine. And you think you're such a goody two-shoes letting your children read about Buddhism and God is going to nail your hide for it. His wrath is going to be poured out upon these parents across this land who are sending their children to these public education institutions where they're being taught every manner of filth and every doctrine of devils as if it's something that they can stroll through and pick like a candy shop. And God is going to judge the schools and he's going to judge the parents that have done so. But furthermore, and beyond that even, is the parent that when the child finds Christ, somehow, in spite of them, in spite of the school system, in spite of their um, apostate church that they take their child to, that child finds Christ and begins to be drawn towards Christ. I believe with all my heart there is no greater damnation than to the parent that stands between their little child and the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, let the little children come unto me and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. And you, sir, or you, ma'am, you get in the way of your child getting to Jesus Christ and you will incur the wrath of God to the uttermost. You will be personally acquainted with the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet at the bottom of the lake of fire for all of eternity where you will writhe in agony and hellfire and burn with unquenchable burnings. If you stand between your children and the Lord Jesus Christ, and here the Jews, they decided that they were not going to put up with this man preaching the gospel. Go to Acts 13 and verse 14. But when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch and Pisidia and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. And after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent unto them, saying, Ye men and brethren, if ye have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. Then Paul stood up and beckoning with his hand said, Men of Israel and ye that fear God give audience and here Paul preaches a message a beautiful message you can read it out for yourself it goes on there <clears throat> Um, all the way through verse 42. And then in verse 43, when the congregation was broken up, many of the Jews and religious proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who speaking to them persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. And the next Sabbath day came almost the whole city together to hear the word of God. Verse 45. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. 
Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said it was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you. But seeing you put it from you and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. What they did was sin. Right here's where they're going to fill up their sin. They turned from the gospel. They contradicted. They blasphemed. He says, for so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for salvation unto the ends of the earth, which is a direct quote from the law and the prophets that they just read in their synagogue. And then it says in verse 48, And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord, and as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. Verse 49, And the word of the Lord was published throughout all the region. Look at verse 50. Here is the wrath to the uttermost. This is where God really gets angry. But the Jews stirred up the devout and honorable women and the chief men of the city and raised persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them out of their coasts. But they shook off the dust of their feet against them and came unto Iconium. Did you know that? <coughs> Excuse me. Did you know that Jesus said that if the apostles would shake off the dust of their feet, that it would be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment for this city than for that city where those apostles shook off the dust? This is where the wrath comes to the uttermost. It's bad enough to be wicked. It's bad enough to sin against God. It's bad enough to reject the free gift of salvation through the blood of Jesus Christ, the righteous, the almighty, the word of God, Jehovah God himself, born in the flesh of the Virgin Mary and made sin for us who knew no sin, died on the cross, was buried and rose again the third day and ever lives to make intercession for us who are saved. It's bad enough to reject so great a salvation. But if you go beyond and resist and blockade and stand against and fight against the gospel of Jesus Christ, you incur wrath to the uttermost. Acts 14, verse 1, And it came to pass that they went both together in Iconium, and it came to pass in Iconium that they went both together into the synagogue of the Jews, and so spake that a great multitude, both of the Jews and also the Greeks, believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and made their minds evil affected against the brethren. There it is again. Long time, therefore, abode they speaking boldly in the Lord, which gave testimony unto the word of his grace and granted signs and wonders to be done by their hands. Again, God showing that he was pleased with them and not the unbelieving Jews. But the multitude of the city was divided and part held with the Jews, Jews and part with the apostles. And when there was an assault made, both of the Gentiles and also of the Jews with their rulers to use them despitefully and to stone them, they were aware of it and fled unto Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lycaonia, and unto the region that lieth round about. And there they preached the gospel. Listen to me today. This is where the wrath comes to the uttermost. We are entering a, an era in the United States of America where a persecution is going to be heightened and broadened beyond anything that our forefathers imagined possible as long as the Constitution was even believed to remotely apply to this country. That's the whole purpose for the Constitution was to prevent such usurpations of authority. But in any case, it's coming. And when that persecution comes, listen to me, America, you will bring upon your head wrath to the uttermost. It's already boiling. The wrath of God is already hot and high because of the blood of the innocent children that's been murdered, because of the sins of sodomy and adultery and witchcraft and fornication and idolatry and all of this, all of this wicked, filthy idolatry that we have in our music system, which is nothing but idolatrous origin and all of the sin and wickedness of this land already has God hot. He's already angry with America and he's already, we've already treasured up, treasured up wrath. We're going to get to there in this text. But listen to me today. When the cap comes off this thing and the anger of the wicked begins to be poured out upon the true church of Jesus Christ and persecution rises and becomes an open and openly accepted and tolerated mode of life where the gospel is suppressed and those that preach it are jailed um, on every street corner that they're that they're seen on and their churches are shut down and their people are put to death let me tell you something the wrath of God will be poured out to the uttermost 
That's what's coming. That's what the great tribulation is all about. Go to Revelation and read about those who are beheaded, who are under the altar crying out to God, How long, O God, until you judge the wicked? Let's just um, go ahead and turn there. Go to Revelation. We'll find that real quick. Here in Revelation 6, 9, here's where it is. Uh, And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given unto every one of them, and it was said unto them that they should rest yet yet for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. And then in Revelation 16, verse 6, he says, or verse 5, And I heard the angel of the waters say, Thou art righteous, O Lord, which art and wast and shalt be, because thou hast judged thus. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and thou hast given them blood to drink, for they are worthy. God is angry whenever God's gospel is hindered, whenever people stand and oppose the gospel of Jesus Christ, when they refuse to let others hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, God gets involved and God gets angry. Acts 17. I could give you examples from history where God got involved whenever wicked men stood in between God's gospel and people that wanted God's gospel. I don't know if we'll have time for any. Acts 17.1. Now when they had passed other than the Bible, but that's what we're studying for the most part anyway. Passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews. Here Paul preaches, verse 5, But the Jews which believed not moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort, and gathered a company, and set all the city on an uproar. Look at verse 10, And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas to go to Berea. And then in verse 13, But when the Jews of Thessalonica had knowledge that the word of God was preached of Paul at Berea, they came thither also and stirred up the people. This is what Paul the apostle through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God is saying as the sixth and greatest, the capstone of the accusations against the chosen people of God is that they forbade the preaching of the word of God to the Gentiles. Um, With skipping ahead, without even getting into it, you can go to Acts 18, but up there ahead, whenever Paul is being... um, falsely accused in Jerusalem later in the book of Acts, they listened to Paul's defense until he says that God said that he would send Paul to the Gentiles, at which point they threw dust in the air and said, away with this fellow, for it is not fit that such a one should live. Something to that effect. Their offense with Paul was great because he was preaching the gospel and they didn't want it. But they went rabid about him preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. And God said, this is the fullness of the sin of Israel through this text in Thessalonians. Acts 18, 12, we have um, the Jews made insurrection with one accord against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat. And of course, God ended that. They said here, saying this fellow persuadeth men to worship God contrary to the law. Jesus said in Matthew 15, 14, that the Jews be blind leaders of the blind, and if the blind lead the blind, they shall both fall into the ditch. Now, that's if if that's an not enough. If it's not enough just to lead other people into the ditch, it's going to be bad enough whenever you fall into the ditch because you're blind leading the blind. And it's going to be bad enough when you're blind. Those that think they know the way to heaven and they're wrong, it's going to be bad for them. They're going to burn in the lake of fire. And those that followed those that were wrong, that they thought were right, and those that were wrong that were teaching them thought that they were right, and everybody thinks that they're right, and they all go to hell together. They fall into the ditch together. It's going to be a bad day. But again, in Luke um, eleven fifty two, what Jesus said there uh, of the lawyers, he took away the key of knowledge, and in, you not only entered not in yourselves, but those that were entering in ye hindered. I'm telling you today, that's the hottest spot in hell. You say, what's the, what's the hottest spot in hell? The hottest spot in hell is for those that resisted the gospel of Jesus Christ being preached to other people and forbade it. One example I could give you is Burma in the 1800s when Adoniram Judson went up to Ava, the capital city, to seek permission to simply uh, be able to preach to the Burmese people and for them to choose to trust Christ. 
That's all he asked for. And you can read his tracts. You can read his literature. He was not so-called blaspheming their gods and goddesses or whatever. Of course, they claim they only have, they have no god, but they worship Buddha as a god. And they worship all of their um, priests and priestesses and all that kind of stuff. All the Hindus are more into that kind of thing. But still, the Buddhists get into that as well. And they would not allow Adoniram to preach to the people. They said, you can believe what you want. The foreigners can believe what they want. But the Burmese people are not allowed to be Christians. And if they do, we'll probably beat them to death with an iron maul. That was the basic answer he got. And when that happened, it was not even two years before God allowed circumstances to arise where Burma attacked British-held territory and British at the height of its colonialism and empire building had no scruples about attacking a nation and they brought Burma to its knees in just another two years. And the, and the mighty, powerful Burmese empire, one of the, most, one of the strongest eastern empires over the, over the centuries, came crashing to its knees. They affected a treaty, ceded some land, and managed to patch things together for a while. But God brought them low because they rejected a, the gospel messenger and forbid him from preaching the gospel to their people. And another example would be Rome, which fell after persecuting the Christians for hundreds of years. God finally said, it's enough. And the entire Roman Empire fell to a bunch of Visigoths and Vandals. Just a bunch of barbarian tribes. And they fell, collapsed. After persecuting Christians and forbidding the gospel to be preached for all of those years. You say, well, by then they were Christian. That is the biggest joke since jokes became jokes. And it's not even a funny joke. If you count Constantine and the Council of Nicaea as Christian, then you are probably not Christian yourself. That is of the synagogue of Satan. And all the stuff that came out of it is. Now... Moving on from there, we have <clears throat> the wrath coming to the uttermost. One other example from history I wanted to give, a man that's referred to today as St. Patrick in his day, neither called himself a saint, nor was he what we would call a Catholic in our modern day, though he was corrupted with some Catholic teachings and the Catholic priesthood and all that kind of stuff. The man tried to take the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ to Ireland, and when the Druids would resist him and stop him, God intervened in mighty and powerful ways and brought the power of the Druids to ruin right before the people's eyes. And the people got the gospel. Listen, if people want the gospel, God will get them the gospel. God will get them the gospel. It's unfortunate that the Catholic um, regime that followed was nearly as crushing and disgusting and demonic as the Druids, but that's history that you should study out for yourself. We're not getting into that right now. So wrath is come upon them to the uttermost, to these, um, to the Jews here. That's from our text. Let's go back there to First Thessalonians. First Thessalonians. <clears throat> First Thessalonians. <clears throat> He says here, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved, to fill up their sins always, for the wrath is come upon them to the uttermost. We're going to contrast that as we study this. Let's, let's look at a couple things here. Let's look at a couple things. Hebrews 10. Go quickly to the book of Hebrews. We'll look at several verses in Hebrews over the as we conclude this message. Hebrews 10.26 For if we sin willfully after that we received, have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sorer punishment, suppose ye, shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despot to the spirit of grace for we know him that hath said vengeance belongeth unto me I will recompense saith the Lord and again the Lord shall judge his people it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God this is written to the Jews who had the Bible who had the oracles the book is entitled Hebrews and it's written to the Jews who having the word of God and having salvation by grace offered to them have chosen 
reason to sin willfully against the spirit of grace. They have, have counted the blood of the covenant an unholy thing and done despot under the spirit of grace. And he says it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Go to Romans chapter 2 where the Jew is specifically addressed by Paul. Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest, for wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself, for thou, for thou that judgest doest the, doest the same things. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things, and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? He's telling them, after the context of chapter 1, that the Gentiles which knew not God gave themselves over to worship and serve the creature rather than the Creator, when God revealed Himself through the evidence of the creation and they chose to worship the creation rather than the Creator, the creature rather than the Creator, and they were became vain in their minds, their foolish heart was darkened, and they gave themselves over to dishonor their own bodies, gave themselves over, God gave them to uncleanness, to dishonor their own bodies amongst themselves. It says, women with women, men with men, working that which is not convenient, and they filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, reprobate minds, backbiter, backbiters, haters of God, who knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. So Paul is there saying it's bad enough for them. It's bad enough for these Gentiles that didn't know and don't know the truth. And all they had was the creation to go off of to seek God. And they rejected the truth that God gave. They are without excuse. They are on their way to hell. They're going to burn in the lake of fire. But then he opens chapter 2. To it, therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest. He's saying, you think that you are wise. You think that you are a teacher. You think that you have the Bible and the oracles of God. But you do the same sins that they do. The same sins that the Gentiles do. You just cover them over with this ecclesiastical covering, as one guy, one preacher was wont to always say very often. You cover it over with your prayer shawl, but you go and commit the same sins, if not only with your heart, also with your hands very often. And he says, Thinkest thou this, O man that judgest them which do such things, and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? It says, But after, listen, Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? But after thy hardness and impenitent heart, treasurest up wrath unto thyself, wrath, treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath, and revelation of the righteous in judgment of God who will render to every man according to his deeds. This is the man that preaches grace more than any other apostle that God ever sent. This is the apostle of grace, the apostle Paul. And here he is speaking to these men who have their own idea of righteousness. They have their own idea of religion and they sin against God. They have not come by the way of grace and by the way of faith to the holiness and the purity and the righteousness that God has offered them through Christ. And he says, after the hardness, after thy hardness and impenitent heart, treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. This idea, think of this concept of treasuring up wrath of saving it back. How many of you here today want a savings account full of wrath? You say, well, I'll take a savings account with $10,000 in it and an 8% interest and a 40-year lock-in. A lot of people would take that. They'd be happy to get it. You could do a lot in 40 years with 8% of interest. A whole lot, and you'd be pretty set if you could handle that. Just imagine if you had that. But what God's saying is you are treasuring up wrath. You have a savings account of wrath, and it's got interest on it. You have a savings account and every day you live compounds the interest and adds to it. You're not, it's not just wrath that's sitting there. It's wrath that you are treasuring up against the day of wrath. Every day that you live in resistance to the gospel. Every day that you live in your self-righteousness. Every day that you live without accepting the gospel of Jesus Christ, you treasure up wrath against the day of wrath. And this ties in with our text where he says that wrath is come upon them to the uttermost. The filling up of their sins is the treasuring up 
The treasuring up, they're filling up their savings account. And he says, wrath is come upon them to the uttermost. Imagine that you had a savings account that when it matured said infinite funds. That's what this is talking about, to the uttermost. You could, have, you could put a million dollars in a CD with 200% interest compounded daily, and you could have that thing for a million years, and it would still be a finite number. You may be the wealthiest person on the face of the earth, but it would still be a finite, understandable, mathematically sound, writable number. But the word uttermost goes beyond a finite. It goes to the absolute extent of all possible reality. It goes to the absolute limit of God's allowance and God's toleration against the sin of man. And this is what this is saying, that the wrath of the Jews, that the wrath of God is come upon them to the uttermost, that they have treasured it up until there is no more room to treasure it up. Their account is full. It is capped out. They cannot add to it. It's filled up to the uttermost. The wrath is coming. There is, at this point, no way to stop the wrath of God from being poured out. That's what it's saying. There is no point of repentance once the wrath has reached the uttermost. You say that can't possibly be true. Go to Romans chapter 9 quickly. Romans chapter 9. Lord help us today as we finish this thing out. You say this is the day of grace. Yes it is. But what happens when you sin away the grace in the day of grace? The wrath of God comes upon you to the uttermost. And if you want to make God really angry and come to this point, you start blockading the gospel. You stand in between Christ and sinners and you will find the wrath of God upon you to the uttermost. When you become the obstacle, keeping sinners that are seeking a Savior from the arms of the great shepherd and Savior of their souls, the wrath of God boils over against you. And that is what has happened here to the Jews. Now, I wasn't planning on going to this passage, but it says here in verse, Lord help us, 22. What if God, willing to show His wrath and to make His power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction, and that He might make known the riches of His glory on the vessels of mercy which He had afore prepared unto glory? And here it says that Esau, a vessel of wrath, sought repentance with tears and found no place of repentance. And the Bible says here, um, let's see, at verse chapter 11, Verse 7, What then? Israel hath not obtained that which he seeketh for, but the election hath obtained it, and the rest were blinded. According as it is written, God hath given them the spirit of slumber, eyes that they should not see, and ears that they should not hear unto this day. And David saith, Let their table be made a snare, and a trap, and a stumbling block, and a recompense unto them. Let their eyes be darkened, that they may not see, and bow down their back alway. I say then, have they stumbled, that they should fall? God forbid, but rather through their fall, salvation is coming to the Gentiles, for to provoke them to jealousy. Boy, that has worked well as we have studied the envy that they have had towards the Gentiles. But here he also goes on to say that all Israel shall be saved in the Lord in verse 26. So how can this be possible? Because the wrath of God as it is poured out on Israel will eventually be poured out. I made this statement earlier that whenever the wrath is to the uttermost that that hits an infinite point. And I was wrong about that. I retract that. The uttermost means it's full and God is going to pour it out. But when God has poured it out, there's space for grace again. Because God is full of long suffering and God is full of mercy. The only place that your eternal judgment is infinite is after you die. Now an individual can come to this point and a nation can come to this point where it's completely wiped out and gone. But God has given Israel a promise that he will never allow that to happen. Now go to Hebrews 7. I probably muddled that up more than I helped there. Lord have mercy on us and help us. I need to stick to my notes because I didn't have that stuff studied out to, to be able to express it the way I wanted to, the way I should. Chapter 7 and verse 25 says here of Jesus Christ, and let's go to verse 24, but this man because he continueth ever. 
There's an eternal man there, Jesus Christ. But this man, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood, wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. So that uttermost means that as far as man can sin. To the absolute limit of man's sin, God, Jesus Christ, is able to save those that sin that come unto him to the uttermost. How does he save them? By grace you are saved through faith. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. You say, well, then how does a man sin away his day of grace if the grace of God can go can save to the uttermost. The answer is there in that text that we read that God blinded the eyes of some. When you cross a certain point with God, He shuts your eyes and your ears. And faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And without that Word of God being able to enter into your heart, you cannot be saved, though God could save you if you could. That's how. God's salvation is no less available to you, but your access is denied without you even knowing it. You go denying access to the Savior to others, and God will deny access to the Savior to you. Hebrews chapter 12, and we'll wrap it up. There's no other organization in the world that has more attacked and harassed and persecuted the church of Jesus Christ than the Catholic Church beyond anything that the Jews have ever done. And so often you deal, you try and share the gospel with a Catholic, their eyes are shut, their ears are shut, and that's why. Because they've joined a church upon which the wrath of God is already to the uttermost. You read Revelation and it tells the the end of the Catholic Church in the book of Revelation when the beast and the whole world rise up against the great whore and burn her with fire. That's going to happen and that won't be martyrdom by the way. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 25 See that ye refuse not him that speaketh. For if they escaped not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven. Whose voice then shook the earth, but now he hath promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And this word, yet once more, signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken, as of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably, with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire." Father, in Jesus' name, pray that you would use this to turn some from their wicked ways and open the way of salvation to others who have been held back by men and women of perverse and reprobate minds. Lord, I pray that you would come in your power and in your glory and open the floodgates of salvation and mercy all across this world. And Lord God, all those that stand in the way of the gospel, I pray in Jesus' name that you would remove them. And I know that you will, Lord. Because in your word you said that you will. The day is coming. And we look to that day, Father. In the meantime, we ask that you do it on a smaller scale. Do it right now, Lord God. And bring the sheaves into your barn, Father. God, bring in your harvest. In Jesus' name and for Christ's sake, amen.